Hey there guys, welcome back to the Ruby Moments podcast where we will be giving you a major spoiler warning for Volume 8 Chapter 1 to start with because we will be breaking down and giving our opinions on this particular chapter. At the time of this coming out, you guys will see the episode is public and not for first members. But without further ado, I'm going to introduce the four-man crew that I've got today. Not just myself, but we have got Bionic. What's up? We also have Pinkie Pie. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Pinkie Pie. <laughs> and we also have Fates here. I am geared up and ready to go. Indeed. So we're doing a four-man one today because our local comedians are on a vacation. We do not know where they vacation to, but it's clearly they have gone to a better place than the Dark Realm of Atlas because... To put it bluntly, shit does go down in this chapter quite heavily, but I'm going to throw the mic at Pink, who's going to be our synopsis guy throughout most of Volume 8. I'll throw in most of it, okay. So, um, so we're just going to go sort of like uh, one by one. So the first scene that we see is a little woman, uh, I guess you could probably say like teenager woman, uh, scrubbing the floors, looking very, very familiar as we see it could possibly be a certain someone that we see the next shot of with her grim hand cinder as both her and um neopolitan are flying towards the grim whale and land on what seems to be another part of the whale um and they go come face to face with salem uh letting her know that uh they have returned and salem asks well tells cinder she didn't expect her to come back unless she had something for her which cinder does in the relic in the relic of knowledge uh which she says that she that she got um underneath ironwood's nose and neo didn't seem to take too kindly to that but out pops out the scorpion boy himself Tyrion, to say that it wasn't really the intellect of cinder but more the lack of intellect of ironwood as uh, both him and Salem have realized that they have never met or even knew who Neapolitan was or who she is, sorry. Um, and then out pops out Mercury, Emerald and Hazel uh, spouting out new looks as uh, Emerald is happy to see Cinder, but it seems Cinder doesn't really care as um she now has that she basically wants to plan to find penny polandina uh now that she's got the maiden powers and retrieve for herself but it seems salem hasn't given her that command to do so as right now her main focus seems to be atlas and that is where that scene and the scene ends where she touches her throne as she sees atlas from the front of the whale and lets everyone know that though that they are just pawns of her game not a player because this is a game that she wants to win and that is that first scene indeed so fates we're going to start with you on your thoughts on this one then we will shout shoot over to pink for his thoughts then bionic then myself all right uh with this first scene the thing that I found that caught me by surprise the most at the very beginning was we all assumed that Neo was going to be hidden since she was not shown in the trailers or beta footage at 
all. And then as soon as it starts, we basically see her in the first 30 seconds of, uh, of the premiere episode. So that definitely was a really nice breath of fresh air. Um, when they, I did also like that Neo looked extremely scared when they were approaching the whale. And then Cinder just said, no, no, like basically like go there, like fly into its mouth. Um, and we see her surprise when she sees Salem. I liked that like, Neo, we can tell she doesn't know what the hell is going on, and it's very nice to see that. But also, when Tyrion shows up, there's only one thing I didn't like with it. He was basically being a hypocrite with one particular thing he said, which was he basically said at one point that Cinder was making up for past failures. Excuse me, Tyrion, that's also what you're doing, because you failed killing Crow and getting Ruby to Salem. So if anything, both of them were repaying for past mistakes. The only one who hasn't tr truly done that yet is Hazel. And we might see that either in Volume 8 or later, but we don't know that yet. Um, and then and I do love that Neo was just really pissed when Cinder took the credit for taking the lamp, because she's like, you failed in your mission. Why take the credit for mine? <laughs> um, and then uh, I did like how Emerald was like excited to see Cinder, but Cinder obviously didn't fucking reciprocate. And she was like, no, back off. But also, I do see with the new designs for Hazel, Emerald, and Mercury, people have many mixed thoughts. I agree that Emeralds is kind of the most lackluster of the three. Because it doesn't really do much. Because we can see her old design is still underneath. It's just like she just put on a jacket. Um, but I do love Mercury's design in particular. And then Hazel's, it's going to take some getting used to. But it's still pretty good. But other than that, I'd say that this scene was actually a very good way to start. Much better than Volume 4's just basically, here are the villains. This time it was like, let's catch up with the villains. What are they doing? I really liked that. Pink? Uh, yeah, I highly agree. This is a very good opening. There's not a lot. Like, it's very hard to uh, convey a really strong opening to a new season that we've all been looking forward to, especially after how good of a season um, Volume uh, Volume 7 ended. But um, I really, really enjoyed. Uh, Cinder actually uh, seemed like... While she was confident in her abilities, she knows that she needs to fall in line under Cinder. Like Cinder is still Salem. number one. She, yeah, she Salem. Sorry. Like, yeah, no, I meant Salem. Uh, Salem is still the top dog, and Cinder knows that. Um, Tyrion just giving lip to Cinder was absolutely amazing. The saying, and like you know, I mean, yeah, you succeeded, but really you didn't because you know you're stupid um it's just him absolutely destroying her with words and i love it always love Tyrion doing that and it's always and it's actually really mm, to point out that both salem and Tyrion, especially salem didn't know who neapolitan was which begs the question has she always been hidden and in and in and within that was roman also hidden from uh from salem like did cinder hide both of them or did she only or did salem only know about 
Roman but never knew who Neo was because of maybe her semblance or she's just because of how quiet she is it's really going to be interesting to know like how Cinder managed to keep someone like Neapolitan such a secret or how Neo kept herself a secret for so long uh Neo's facial expressions are always the best how like how Tyrion said that he hopes that Neo doesn't become another um Arthur Watts like getting captured and she just was like oh hell no and then especially when Cinder took credit for Neo's work just love Neo just being like are you for real like you're serious um Salem is always is always great because I love I love the aura she pun intended I love the aura she brings into an atmosphere like she she demands respect she demands power like she demands so much from her um from her disciples and I do love how um how Tyrion does point out that what Cinder was doing was for herself but what him and Arthur were doing was for um Salem which he knows is on her is on Salem's good side but what Cinder's doing isn't exactly what Salem wanted her to do uh, as for the three coming back, Hazel, Mercury, and Emerald, the new designs, I really do like. I do agree that Emeralds might be the weakest because it's um, just because it's just throwing, like um, Fates has said, it's just throwing on a jacket, but it still looks nice. Hazel, I, I think I'm in the opposite ballpark of a lot of people. I actually quite like it because it shows off more of his battle scars from where he stabbed himself with um, with dust. It shows that maybe, you know, that coat was um hindering a lot of his power like what's the point of wearing a coat if you're just if you know your whole thing is stabbing yourself with uh dust crystals and i think i think mercury's definitely looks the best it's minimalistic but it's very him it still keeps in tune with what he wants like keeping the functionality of a fighter while you know doing what he you know being what he is which is a fighter uh but overall this was a really good opening it's nice to see um all the villains again knowing like what their what each of their goals are what sailor wants to do and just how this is all going to play out especially when going up against a force like atlas uh bionic on to you sir well to start this um, my least favorite part of it being my least favorite character cinder both of you have failed to mention the first scene of this episode which yes, I did. It's not a lot, but it's it's obviously Cinder backstory, and definitely fully taken from her, from her um, what's the word? Inspiration. There's the word mm, from uh, uh, Cinderella. Yeah, and uh, there's not much. Uh, she looks better in the past than she does now. Just saying. Uh, besides that, I don't care much what Cinder did. I'm taking a taking credit for the lamp. No, it's it. Neo did all of the work. You were useless. When is Cinder ever use, useful? <laughs> what, what else is new? Yeah, uh, but um, I don't really have much to say to Cinder. I, the line still is, uh, I am nothing without you. You're, you're goddamn right, Cinder. You are nothing. But getting back to the part I actually care about, um, I'm surprised how early uh, Salem has the lamp. I was expecting at least episode 2 or 3 by this time. But no, first episode, first scene, she has the lamp already. Jesus. This is not going to be fun for the cast. But... <laughs> My boy Tyrion's here. He's the sh- he's taking Watts's uh, place of insulting Cinder because currently Watts is locked up, and we'll eventually get to see Watts in the rest of this season, whenever that happens, because he's not in this episode, <laughs> which is, must be a very disappointing, uh, very disappointing for Fates. 
<laughs> but Tyrion, bitch, pretty much bitch talking. <laughs> That's a weird word. Eh. Smack talking. I'm really tired tonight. I apologize, everyone. But uh, smack talking Cinder was the greatest part, and the new ones. I'm beeping my camera. The, uh, the the new designs for Hazel, Mercury, and Emerald. I agree. I actually like Emeralds, but also I'm not really care. I didn't really like Emeralds original, and this jacket made it slightly better. Mercury's looks good. I, I like Mercury's having his having his emblem on his chest is very nice. That I somehow missed my first viewing, and I'm in the group that actually really likes Hazel's new one. Um, and I'm I don't know. Maybe it's the maybe it's the um. The symmetry, almost symmetry of of everything I like, and also he's very clean. He's got he's got a nice haircut and a bit of a shade. It's very clean. Besides that, not that much. I uh, the inside of the whale looks disgusting as ever. From the small amount, it looks very disgusting. I adore it. And the chair being the controlling point of the whale is interesting and shows that it could. You know, it shows it could be a weak point, or maybe we don't really know yet. I don't have much to say. It was a good scene. It'd be bad if Cinder wasn't in it, but that's just me. Velvet, let's hear you. Indeed, like I'm gonna make a few points. I fully did enjoy this scene. Like from a writer's standpoint, starting with the villains is actually a good way to actually start off with because volume since volume one. We've mainly started off with the heroes, the only exception being Volume 4's opener. So it's a bit of a refreshing touch to start with our antagonists rather than our protagonists. And seeing that this whale is definitely more than what we first thought of it being like the inside main base above the mouth for Salem's forces. Wasn't expecting Neo to essentially be into the fold this early on. And... What surprised me was Tyrion and Salem don't know what is still alive. In the way their words came across was they think Watts is dead and killed by Ironwood. So that's going to be a shock factor to them when Watts is found out that he's alive or might be alive by the end of the volume, depending on the actions of one certain man that done a certain action in a certain scene that we will cover later on in this podcast. I am excited to finally get Cinder's backstory. After six years since she was introduced fully in the show, we have wondered and speculated about her backstory and what she could potentially be in the past. And I think that we're going to get the pieces to start putting the puzzle together this volume, but the full puzzle won't be completed until the next volume, so to speak. In terms of designs, I love Ruby Designs quite a lot emeralds is essentially it's taking what she had as her old but adapting it and restylizing it like certain points of her outfit do resemble her past outfit which is something that we've had with our main heroes as well some of their outfits do resemble their old styles so why get rid of an old style if it works if you're going into a different environment just adapt it it's kind of like with mercury he's only adapted his outfit to be more minimalistic whereas Hazel seems to have adapted his outfit to be more uh strategical so to speak so it can give him an advantage but the way Hazel's styled 
I kind of got a gut feeling that halfway through the volume or towards the end of the volume, him and Tyrion are going to be sent to Vacuo to prepare for the next phase in Salem's plan of getting the Relic of Destruction while Emerald and Mercury stay with Cinder and Neo and Salem in Atlas to finish up Ironwood being killed off or potentially killed off and making Atlas fall. And I do honestly think that this is a strong way to open up the episode to be honest like it doesn't mess around we're straight in there no faffing around right here's the villains here's what's happening here's what Sanem's gonna do let's go for it just one final little thought I like seeing through the Grimm's eye for a change seeing how Salem can now keep an eye on Atlas for the comfort of a thrown inside the whale all she needs to do is get a couple of flat screen tvs a popcorn maker and a coffee machine in there and she's sorted <laughs> god to be honest i think all of us would do that if we had that indeed option. but we <laughs> shall traverse this scene and go into the next scene and pink i hope you have our synopsis ready for the next scene because this one is the middle ground yeah this one this one will definitely be the longest synopsis. So with this one, uh, we start off with Oscar um, after he dropped out of where the vault was in Atlas. And he seems to be in this little sentiment, which we saw in the uh, trailer, where he is being given food by a Faunus who, instead of having human hands or like a, like his Faunus trait seems to be these claws and these paws. Which uh, origin like you could say is a bear, could be a badger, could also be a mole, which I know a lot of people are leaning towards. So there's a lot of discussion with that. But um, he then sees a, but then Ospin, who has uh, returned back into his head, uh, has told him to look out as there is an Atlas airship flying over towards him. But we see that it is uh, Ruby along with Weiss and Maria in the ship. As uh, they have come to pick him up, uh, he tells them that he feels responsible for a lot of it, for pretty much what's happening because he knew he couldn't get through to Ironwood. But Ruby tries to reassure him that he did everything he could, and that's all you can really ask of someone. Uh, they fly into Mantle, where they meet up. <coughs> uh, excuse me, beforehand, uh, where the rest of the group is with the Happy Huntresses as they are met with Joanna. And then uh, when we walk in, we hear May is talking to uh, Fiona about moving people to the crater from Sector, was it 5, I believe? Or Sector no, three? what it was, was um, F May was telling Fiona that they need extra reinforcements in Sector 3 because it's actually Joanna that brings up about the crater. Gotcha. Um, so that happens. Um, and then when they go in, uh, everybody is happy to see Oscar, especially Nora, who goes to hug him. And while Oscar seems to be a little tentative because, you know, last time he got tackled. Also, last time, um, also last time, uh, you know, Neapolitan was Nora at some point, like when she did the whole illusion thing with her semblance. He was scared. He's still fearful. But luckily it was. But luckily, Nora just gave him a nice, decent hug, which is obviously very not Nora. But at the same time, with everything going on, you kind of expect it. So what happens is, so what happens now is uh, also just say in the background, you will see the wanted posters where instead of Crow being on the list now, you now see um, 
you now see Penny, Pietro, and Maria now on there as they are all wanted in Atlas. So what happens with now Team Ruby and Juniper? They discuss a plan of action. And we have two different sides to this, where you have Ruby... Uh, oh, sorry, uh, before we skip to that, uh, Joanna pops in and says that now that everyone's together, uh, they have a plan of getting people out of Mantle, which is to get into the crater, which is underneath Atlas. And while it's not the safest place to go, safest place to go, it is the warmest place to go. And because everybody will be there together, it'll be a lot easier to defend people from uh, Grim because they'll all be together in one place. And Yang seems to be okay with the idea and says she wants to do that. However, it seems Ruby and Yang are at odds. Uh, as, as well as Ren and Nora, because it seems Ruby is looking at the bigger picture. She wants to get the global communications up with the Amity Tower and reach everyone in Vacuo, in Vale, in um, in Mistral to let them know of the danger of sailing that's coming, that is going to be eventually coming to each of those kingdoms. But Yang wants to save the people of Mantle now. And a really big part that's happened is that uh yang says to ruby that when they got to when they got to atlas they said that they were going to follow her no matter what but it seems everything that's happened so far has been from like everything hasn't really worked out the way it is yang basically questioning ruby's leadership now because ruby's while he's she's trying to look at a bigger picture she's still you know two years younger she's still a little she's still a kid in a way but um, it see, and it seems Ren also agrees with Yang and wants to protect the people of Mantle and get them out. But it seems Nora agrees with Ruby and tell the people of Mantle. Uh, Ruby asks Pietro if there is a way to do that with Amity, uh, like how much they need now to get Amity Coliseum up. It seems they have enough fuel, enough weaponry, enough enough of everything. The only thing they need is now an access an access code. Uh, which are only in two places: one in General Ironwood's office, or two in the mil- in the Atlas military base. And it seems Ru- that is what Ruby is going to do, while Yang sticks with helping out Mantle. Uh, and it seems Penny, and then Penny, after you know what, watching the screen, seeing her face on a wanted poster after getting the the maiden powers, comes up with the idea that she should go grab the relic and bring it to Salem. But Oscar knows and but everybody everybody disagrees with her on that one. And Oscar knows that even if Salem got the relic, it doesn't mean like she won't kill Penny or, you know, she won't use it for her own gain, stuff like that. We like they can't trust her to not leave Atlas alone even if she got the relic. So to get into the Atlas military they would need an access they would need to get access into the military base. And Penny says she'll go. And while Pietro was not going to agree with that, you can then see the anger and Penny just think just using her maiden powers, just showing off the fire in her eyes, saying that she is going to go. So we then get at, and obviously in the scenes, you can see the split of the two groups in different places where you even see a shot from where Yang was running back in the trailer. Where we now get into our groups, we have Yang, Ren, Jean and uh, Oscar. Uh, going to save the people of Mantle, as Oscar, as actually, uh, just to say, Jean was the one who came up with the idea to do both. And then you have Ruby, Weiss, Blake, uh, Nora, and Penny going off to to Atlas, where 
Weiss actually says she's go- she thinks she has a way to get into the military base before they interrupted by a call from General Ironwood, who calls Penny especially and says that he wants her in Atlas and that the people on the mantle need to be saved. But Ruby interrupts a call saying she's not going to go anywhere until he changes his mind about mantle, but he just snaps at, at Ruby saying that Atlas right now is the main priority, and if Atlas falls, then everything that happens afterwards is on Ruby's hands. And then before, and then obviously, and then before the next scene, that is where it ends. Fates, on to you. Yeah, it is a lot lot to uncover. Yeah, definitely. This is probably going to be the longest for all of us. Um, First off, with um, Oscar in the slums. Something I noticed, if you actually uh, slow down the video and you look at the different people that are there in the slums with Oscar, most of the ones we see are Faunus, including one that... You said most of the ones we can see, there could be a few humans there, but... Yeah, yeah, I think there was like two humans, I believe, but it's like I saw a fox, um, there's the one who gives Oscar soup, there's like, I I think two ones that have like almost bear ears and things like that, but it's like... And, and like um, deer horns, but like that's something that's kind of concerning because if there's that many faunas that are just there, then it might be something that might matter later, but I don't think it will. Like, if they wanted to bring the white fang back, possibly, but I don't think they're going to. Um, then, like, if there's one problem I have with this scene, it's the fact that they get Oscar back so quick in the first episode. People wanted Oscar to basically have to deal with Ozpin and do things himself for once. But Ruby comes and gets him immediately. We don't even see them searching for Oscar, even though it's it's implied later down the line. It's like, okay, now that you have your friend back, which implies that they were searching for him. But it's like, in that case, you're taking more character character development away from Oscar. Volume 4, he barely had any. Volume 5, he was basically Ozpin the... Ozpin the kid. And volume six, he was just depressed. In volume seven, he actually got character development. And the one bit of character development volume eight could have given him, they kinda just sped through, but they're trying to like start the volume. I doubt they're gonna give any character development too much and to really anyone. I... Well, Ruby, they've already given a lot to, which is I'm actually really Can happy about. Can I just about... point out, Fates, you're overlooking one major thing with this, is that, one, this is taking place in the same day after the end of Volume 7, and they have Pietro on them, so it is technically possible for them to actually track Oscar's scroll and find him pretty easily to get him back into the fold. He had a scroll? That was never shown scroll. before. You expect, you expect someone... You spoke him, and particularly everyone got a scroll. We know that, and most likely Oscar. Oh yeah, well. the time skip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, never mind then. Um, Continue. But, um, then with seeing the Happy Huntresses, they got more speaking lines in this one episode than they did in the in well, with an exception of Fiona, in the entirety of Volume Seven. And the fact <laughs> that we actually see their personalities. I'm really down for it, especially since people had more issues with Robin than they did with the Happy Huntresses. Now we actually see what they're doing. And for once, they're actually doing something... Like, for once, there's characters that are doing something smart in a way that makes sense. 
yeah, bring everyone to the warm place where they can be easily defended instead of just letting them just stick around in the giant, like, compromised city. Like, some people have been complaining about it. It's like, well, you can see electricity in the houses. That doesn't mean there's heat. So, if anything, them going to the crater, an area that has possibly a lot of geothermal heat, is a really good idea. So, I really like that. And I'm pretty sure that's going to matter if there's, like, a grim attack. That would be a great place for them to do an action scene. And that's sort of what I'm hoping. Um, as for the characters, I liked how Nora just gave Oscar a regular hug instead of, like, tackling him. Because, like, she understood that, like, it wasn't the time. And I, I just liked that it was so different, but it made a lot of sense. I also, like, if there's one thing that's sort of questionable with Oscar specifically, is that, like, I understand he wants to talk to Ozpin more, but then he's basically, like, people are going to complain that he's doing a ruby in hiding Ozpin in the idea of, like, oh, hey, she hid the, like, she was hiding all this, and now Oscar's hiding this. There's going to be a divide there. It's like, are you serious? Like, at least it makes sense that he wants to hide Ozpin, because he's still mad at him. Um, and then, with with Yang in particular, the main reason why I'm confused as to why she's going against Ruby here is, honestly, the main reason why Ironwood actually went against them is her fault. Her and Blake's fault. Because, like, yes, Ruby was hiding secrets. They told Ironwood everything in Episode 9. The only thing they didn't know was that Blake and Yang told Robin about Amity. That's the reason why he went off the deep end when the Seergrim showed up. And he knew they couldn't be trusted. If it wasn't for that, it wouldn't have happened. So that's why it's like, Yang, are you just trying to hide the blame or the writers forgetting that this was actually... Um... And then... I... The main issue I have with the splitting up, like, I like the idea, but the conversation itself, it reminds me too much of the split that happened in Volume 4 when John Ruby, brought Crow to Kuro Yuri while Nora and Ren tried going for help of his lair. It's like, with Ren, it's like, you're not supposed, like, your whole thing is hiding your emotions, and yet whenever you have to, you then are immediately biased. So it's a little confusing, but I can let that slide. Um, and there was one thing that, um, that Pink didn't mention in this conversation, which was when Yang was walking out, um, Pietro tossed her the keys to the pharmacy, which then most likely shows the part in the, uh, in the teaser where they get the hover bikes. And I'm pretty sure that's going to happen in the next episode. Because otherwise they wouldn't have set Chekhov's guns. Like, okay, here we go, we have it now. Um, at least that's set in for once. Yeah, exactly. They're setting it up. Um, like, I'm happy that not all of the Deezer stuff happened in this one episode, but a lot of it. Um, and then the last thing I want to mention is that um, in the Ironwood call, the main thing that you could definitely tell with Ironwood is that, like, even if he's using his semblance, he is still completely off his rocker. 
He can't and, use his It's passive, dude. He can't use it. It's just happening whenever, he, whenever it feels like. Just to tell you that, he can't. And use in volume it. seven, it fucking sucks. What you expect? It's a passive. What is? <laughs> it's only we've seen one good passive semblance, and that's Clovis. We've well, every other well, not being well, that good. doesn't really. Pros isn't supposed to affect him. It's supposed to affect others. But it yeah, still but, affects him because the writers seem to forget that Metro, which is the name of it, Metro is the name of it, affects only Ironwood, and that is what we've been explained. Just to say that. Make yeah, it's know. a semblance then. Since we can tell that he's like losing his mind over this one little thing, or it's like, <sighs> yeah, your semblance must be very bad then. It's or it's very like bad. very little. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I feel very bad for Penny. She was basically offering to Trojan horse and sacrifice herself, and it's like, no, 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 please no. And I bet the only, like we we were talking about this before the podcast, but we all agree that the only reason why Ironwood called Penny is like, oh hey, would you come up here, give the Winter Maiden powers to Winter so we can kill you? Um, that's a bit backwards. But the way you're saying, but we understand. Yeah. <laughs> <What are> you... <laughs> um, but yeah, that's basically the longest scene. But yeah, overall, I like it, but there's a few very key nitpicks that I, that I did point out. At least you'll say nitpicks. Yeah. Pink? Yeah, this is definitely the longest one, but I very, very much enjoyed it. I always love seeing interactions between the group. Um, <clears throat> It's something that was pointed out in another video that I watched, uh, uh, Phoenix. Um, he pointed out, like, with the guy with the mole hands, bare hands, what you want to call it, is showing that a bit like... Um, I'll get an echo from someone. It's it's Fates. Fates, can you uh, mute yourself for a bit, just for a bit? Uh, I, I, I am muted. I don't know where the echo's coming from. That's fine, then. That, no, that's fine. We'll leave it. Um, but... So uh, it, it's a bit like yeah, this kind of annoying their face. So wait, try unmuting and we'll leave it like that. Yeah, I just unmuted my headset. Okay. Um. So that's better. That's a lot better. Yeah. So um. Uh. It's a bit like what I was saying. We so the guy with the uh claws and the hands. It's a bit like Fiona, how she doesn't have human ears. She just has the um. She just had the sheep ears. So it's just showing like with some fullness. Uh, they've lost a lot of their human traits, so their their fullness traits aren't just like you know having an extra set of ears or having a tail. It actually overtakes their human um stuff as well, or like what would what would be occasionally would be a human part. So it's just showing like it's showing that there are you know an evolution of different faunas which i really really like really going to be great for the Another community example is Arastra sky from grim campaign yeah that's what i was trying to say yeah but, yeah and Arastra as but well again, obviously less people probably watched grim eclipse or like listen to it so it's nice to see it in the show but less probably people saw yeah. it um i do love that oscar was on his guard when he saw the atlesian ship he was like oh god damn it but when he saw ruby it was but when he saw ruby he was exactly happy it's like he was relieved but he knows like st like he knows he still failed in what he wanted to do and it's nice to see and it's nice to see like both ruby and weiss are like willing to still go out into the world to try and save someone like oscar like no matter who it is it's nice to see that those two still have that caring nature and obviously i'm always going to love weiss i'm always going to love seeing hearing weiss 
it's best character um uh happy hunters is ha- really really happy to see more of them seeing may <laughs> taking control of um of the situation fiona getting out in the field joanna getting lines and actually being a relevant character is nice it's just showing like how like the differences between them and the and the asops how the asops how we don't know how they're going to function without a leader but it seems the happy huntresses can function really well without robin being there because that's probably what they've been taught to do or that's that's at least what robin has probably asked them to do if she ever did disappear uh, seeing yang being the one to go against what ruby wants to do like you know doubting ruby's leadership i think it's really really hits i think that's why they did it with yang because it hits the hardest if it was blake i don't think it would matter that much i think with weiss it might even hit a bit harder because obviously it's a partner thing but because yang's been there pretty much for all of ruby's life you know being the big sister it's just showing like their closeness and then how maybe yang and ruby's you know sister like sister relationship is starting to crumble a bit because while ruby is the leader she's not exactly you know led them to success all the time especially here in atlas and so just like john is definitely more of the leader type ruby is still very inexperienced with this i i highly agree i i will always say i think john is a 10 times better leader than ruby is i know that could be down to age but i still think jean has a more i don't say level head but definitely has a more leadership mind than ruby does um but with ruby but what i did but i still love that it was yang questioning because it because yang ever since volume five after seeing raven has been the one to ask questions to doubt people she's always been that one to do that she she's always been vocal about what she likes what she doesn't like especially since volume five which is showing like she is taking into account what raven told her so it's showing like she is raven's daughter as well as being her own her own person and i love that sort of continuation from there uh pietro giving the little rundown it's always nice hearing pietro but it's mainly penny that you're obviously going to focus on because the fact that she said that she was going to go and help team you know ruby get to atlas and get into the terminal because only her or pietro can get into it because they're the only two that probably still have access maybe um well especially pietro like when she just turned around saying she'll go with the maiden with her maiden powers you know setting off it's just showing like she is so unbalanced like her head is not right like she's snapping at her friends and her father her fucking father for crying out loud that's just showing the kind of mindset that penny's in while she's glad she has her friends with her it's not necessarily like a a lot like i'm glad you're here it's like i'm here now i've still got a job to do you're just here to help me kind of thing that could be the mindset that penny's going to go into like i'm glad you're here but i'm a burden because you know i've got the powers i'm the only one that can get to the relic um other than that we're getting more development for ren and nora seeing how their relationship especially in volume seven is is splitting apart even more 
I am really scared for Nora, especially because she's one of my favorite characters in the show. She always makes me smile and laugh. And the fact that she's given so much focus in trailer in the trailers and in this episode and in the intro, which we'll get onto another time, it's it kind of scares me. I'm not going to lie, but I'm just hoping for good things. Uh, I think other than that. There's not a lot to go on. Seeing the groups now split, seeing what the plan is for each group, uh, it's going to be nice seeing these different interactions, how we're going to probably get more uh, Blake and Ruby, more Blake and Weiss, getting more Weiss and Ruby, Weiss and Penny, Weiss and Nora. We're going to get so many different... um, like so many different interactions between characters, seeing how they interact with each other, since they're not really characters that interact a lot, except for Weiss and Ruby. So, and you know, Ruby and Penny as well, and even Weiss and Penny. Um, and then you got Ren, John, Oscar going with uh, Yang, just showing the two differences: how you've got Yang and Ren in one half, and then you've got Nora and Blake in the other half. So, splitting up two of the ships that you know could definitely i mean renora is most definitely possibly confirmed whereas bumblebee is still up in the air kind of but it's very very close just seeing those two split apart it could be like you know distance makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing so uh overall love this scene love seeing the dynamics love seeing people actually questioning ruby's leadership which is what we wanted ruby actually showing character development where she's not just all happy-go-lucky she's actually thinking now and seeing Penny in this mindset of, oh God, everything is up to me. Like, I have to do this crushes me because I don't want Penny to die again. Like, I don't think people in the panel could take that. Um, oh, but just go after one last thing with Ironwood. Fuck him. I said, <laughs> I, I think I said back in, I think I, I don't remember what it was, but I, I remember in one of my first podcast i said fuck ironwood and i was right i was goddamn right (laughs) i I will say why i was right in the next scene bionic on to you sir uh i like this scene a lot for one reason and that's only because oscar is getting more shit and i like oscar a lot um it's nice seeing the Um, uh sorry bionic uh just to interrupt there's one thing i forgot uh, that um that oscar is hiding from team ruby that um ospin is back yeah, I'll get to that, but I like seeing Asuka getting more stuff to do. Well, well actually contributing more than just being being the lamp carrier, because that what, that's what he was in Volume 7, and it was kind of disappointing. But uh, before I get full into Asuka, it's nice seeing the happy huntresses, particularly Joanna. I didn't think I would enjoy as much, but she's growing on me slightly with a single scene, so that well done that. Um, the plan... As John puts it, seems very reasonable, and that's why I think John is should be should like be the main leader and not Ruby at the moment of this of this large group. But the show's called Ruby, so we deal with this. Seeing Yang, uh, distrusting with Yang and Ruby, Ren and Nora, this distro thing. To me, I've never cared much for these characters, so it's more of the other guys. So I'm going to keep talking about. They, I think everyone's always like, I like seeing Pietro willing to go up even in his state but then penny one says and then oh the maiden fire scene that i know uh i know that scared pink a bit and i just looked at just like that's cool i like that a lot and uh, yes as pink says oscar is hiding ozpin but at this point would it really be the most useful thing to say that ozpin is back 
I don't know if it'll be that. Particularly, Oscar is going with the group, Yang's group. And we know Yang is definitely the, mo- the one that doesn't like Ozpin the most out of the four. Um, and I don't know. Neva does really any... I don't know if it was a smart idea Oscar going with that group because of how much, uh, how much all of them don't really like Ozpin. So, don't know. That, that could be interesting in the long run. Besides that, got really nothing. The area they they are located in is called like the Rumple Skiltske, noticed by a god, noticed by Velvet, which is funny as hell. Neat. Nice to, it's nice to uh, see more references, and that may also be a subtle reference to the books, so it's good. Nice to put that in. Mm, the ending, the ending call with Ironwood is. It, it's literally just ripped from the trailer. It's just the trailer scene. It's but, not uh, the trailer scene. I'm yeah, calling that now. It's it, not the trailer scene because Weiss is not there in the shot as well. So that scene with Penny and Ruby hugging in the trailer is definitely going to come at some point. That's not what I meant. That's not what I meant, dude. Were you listening? I said the Ironwood scene. Oh, the Ironwood text. Boy! <laughs> Yes, I, I know you've explained that to me. Yes, the hug is not, but I was talking more about the Ironwood. That is that is from the trailer. We've heard it, and it's, it just shows clear of his mental character. It's also interesting seeing his dynamic between. It, we'll see this more in the next scene. It's nice to look at this Ironwood's dynamic with Ruby and their group to his dynamic with Winter and kind of the A subs were more Winter, and that's just like it's interesting. It's interesting to see, but that's really it. My boy Oscar is doing is getting more stuff. Also, just like my funniest line was this when um Pietro finished this the um, explaining the uh, way to launch Amity, Oscar said, and is that it? And just to make sure that's the easy option, favorite line. Favorite line in this entire episode. That made me laugh so much. Besides that, it's a good scene. Still preferred the first one, but that's only because of my biases. But uh yes, this was a good scene. Velvet. I will take it away, and I will say, when I heard Fate saying about Yang, I think it was Fate that said Yang was being a bit of a hypocrite because of, like, trying to pass the blame onto Ruby. Yeah. Let's put it like this. They followed Ruby's leadership. They told Ruby, well, particularly it was Blake, so I'm assuming that was a group decision back in Volume 7, that we'll follow your lead, Ruby. Ruby chose to lie to Ironwood about the lamp, about Salem, about what they had learned about Ospin's backstory as well. Whereas Yang and Blake told Robin about Amity Coliseum and the project going on, trying to bring Robin onto their side. But they didn't tell Ironwood. They didn't lie to Ironwood. And that's what I think that consequence of what Yang and Blake had decided to do is going to play into a conflict between Team Ruby and the others later on down the line. So Ru- Yang saying to Ruby that when we came to Atlas and we said we follow your lead, but that didn't work out, is essentially Yang sh- telling Ruby, we followed your lead, but we weren't expecting you to lie to someone who we thought was going to be an ally. Yeah, we can understand why you did it, but at the end of the day, your choice to not tell Ironwood yourself or tell him before shit hit the fan has impacted our efforts in this battle, and now things are at their all-time worst. And I can understand... In In a a nutshell. In a nutshell. Yeah, in a nutshell. Fuck you, Ruby, you're a shit leader. Essentially, essentially, (laughs) I I can see where... 
Ren and Yang are coming from for wanting to protect Mantle because they've both lost Beacon to Salem's forces. Ren lost Kuroyuri, potentially maybe because Nora drew the Nakalavi in to Kuroyuri, but Ren has lost a lot and he doesn't want to lose any more and he knows the impact of Grimm attacking civilians, so I can understand where those two are coming from. Ruby is clearly looking at the bigger picture and Nora is looking at the bigger picture, but when Nora was mentioning Mistral, Vacuum Vale, I kind of sat there and went, are you forgetting about Menagerie or do you just want to say fuck Menagerie? Unless she doesn't know what Menagerie Unless she doesn't is. know, but surely that would be in history classes and that back in Beacon. But um, I digress. It is an interesting scene to see like the divide in that. Kind of a little upset that they didn't really bring up why Weiss and Blake want to go back into Atlas. Weiss I can understand of being Ruby's partner and following Ruby's lead and trying to do best for Atlas because it's our home, but also for the rest of Remnant. But Blake is kind of in that middle area of... Why is she going with Ruby's group and not with Yang, her partner? Because we see that when Yang walks out saying that she's going to do what she can for the people in Mantle, we see that worried, almost sad expression on Blake as if something's going on between the Bumblebee couple as well, which could be interesting if they don't resolve it in Volume 8, potentially even in Volume 9, they could resolve it in the Vacuo arc, because... Then Yang calling Ruby's leadership into question and Ren obviously siding with Yang is definitely Ren showing that he's not really a big fan of Ruby's leadership and her decisions as of now. So that could impact going into the vacuum arc as well where maybe Ruby has to learn from her actions throughout Atlas and become a better leader because she's still growing. She's still a kid but she's still technically not a fully qualified huntress even though she's got her license she's still got to learn she's still got to realize that her choices have consequences and those consequences will have actions towards them and say for example if someone on the main crew i.e ren or nora was to die that could make ruby think a lot because if she had told i with before would Ren and Nora still be alive, so to speak? With the idea of like Oscar in the slums and like being picked up pretty quickly, that's obviously down to Pietro tracking the scroll and helping them out. Because if they were really searching for him, then they would have technically found him after he crashed out of Atlas. So I think Pietro had a hand in that. And judging by the time frame, I'd say it's just only like a couple of hours after the end of like volume seven. So I was obviously updated Pietro and Miriam Penny on there after learning that those three aren't in Atlas anymore, that they've sided with Team Ruby. Oscar is on there, and I think this is an interesting point, is maybe he knows Oscar has survived the fall. Or maybe he's kept Oscar on there to cover the fact up that he killed a kid. Whether or not he knows Oscar is alive, hopefully that gets covered in the volume going down the line. Jean, I have to say, is finally not being a self-insert. He is actually stepping in, being the mediator, stepping in as the strategist, as his own team leader, and helping Ruby lead. He is helping make those decisions, and it's finally taken so long to get him back to this role. 
without him being self-inserted or forced into this, and I'm happy for it. For Penny, I'm slightly worried about what direction they're going to go with her, because it's clear that she's in the middle of either helping Atlas and Mantle by sacrificing herself to Salem, helping out our heroes with their goal to protect Atlas and Mantle. So clearly Penny is going to have some sort of conflict going through this volume, and that's going to be something that's interesting to see. I can finally say Joanna is not a useless character because we finally got something with her in this chapter because she was the most underused Happy Huntress in Volume 7. And seeing May, who is the representation of Maid Marion, literally taking the lead in the absence of the Robin Hood of Ruby, which is Robin Hill, is kind of a little bit of a parallel because normally Maid Marion would lead when Robin Hood wasn't around in the stories, if I remember correctly. So it is nice to see that May is taking the lead and she's organising the forces. The way it feels to me is there are going to be more happy huntresses, maybe unnamed happy huntresses, that are working across Mantle. And the idea of, like, Sector 3 being the most dangerous area of Grimm could be the area nearest to where Salem's forces are. And I do like that the Happy Huntress hideout is directly under Ironwood's nose. It's within Mantle. It's not out in the tundra. It's not some underground area. It's just a normal bar in Mantle. Which is kind of funny to think of it because the relic got taken out from Ironwood's nose. The Happy Huntresses have been active under his nose all this time. And I do feel like the Divide is definitely going to give us some unique interactions, as like Pink and Bionic have said. We're going to definitely get unique interactions. And maybe we get May, Joanna and Fiona teaming up with Yang's group in Mantle. And then later on, when Robin and Crow are either freed by Raven or the Happy Huntresses, we might see Crow and Yang actually working together and actually getting some on-screen time together again. Rather than it just being Crow and Ruby getting that uncle-niece relationship, we get Yang and Crow getting some of that. Potentially even Crow trying to help out with Ren. Trying to be like a bit of a father figure to Ren to talk him around the fact of he's dividing away from Nora because of how he's been throughout the last volume and the last few days. So it'd be interesting to see where they go with the groups. And whether or not we get some interesting fights down the line. I'm still hoping for a Ruby, Weiss, Blake and Nora versus Team Funky in Atlas. That's one fight I'm hoping for. But all in all, a good scene. One of the longest ones that this, volume, this chapter definitely had. But it's like catching up, getting things set up, getting everyone on the same page, so to speak. So we know what to expect. Going forward, I can maybe see that Chapter 2 could be centred around Yang's group. Chapter 3 could be centred around Ruby's group. Instead of piling them together in one chapter, we have separate chapters covering the different sides of the aspect, so to speak. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But we do have another interesting well, the one that really, from my opinion, has definitely shaken the foundations of the fandom and of a lot of people, including the boys on this crew as well. So, Pink, shall you take it away? Oh, boy. So, 
after getting the call so uh after the scene where penny got the call from ironwood we actually then uh cut to the dead body that has now gone much paler of clover where his body where like where the where the stab wound is he got you know he's got patched up and you see the aesops like marrow looking really sad vine just looking like vine elm looking like you know keeping her to herself and then harriet looking really angry at the end of what's happened we then cut to ironwood who is in front of a bed who we can now definitely confirm uh, in the bed is winter uh, getting checked up after being defeated by uh, cinder in the last in the in the last volume as um Iwood uh, asks for the doctors to let him and Winter have some alone time after Winter has been checked up, showing that not only she's still hurting in her hands, but it seems on her left side where her arm is, she's definitely got some armor platings, uh, or like some, sorry, some metal plating, some metal armor, basically to keep her left arm, because her left arm was definitely, definitely badly damaged. So it, is it fully robotic? Is it just armor? We don't know yet. But she's definitely got more robotic stuff on her. So she's becoming sort of less human. Uh, Ironwood uh, Ironwood is then told by a guard beforehand that the prisoners have now been put into Stockade B. Uh, Winter asks if that is Crow and Robin. Uh, Ironwood doesn't really answer her. He just says that he's really grateful for Winter being there for him. And then both Camilla and Sleet, the uh, two uh, two of Atlas's council members, pop up, uh, basically spouting out, asking Ironwood why he's issuing uh, martial law, what he's doing, basically really wanting answers. As Winter asks, uh, as this was all happening, where um, Harriet actually steps out of the room where Clover is in and, and watches, uh, Sleet and Camilla basically having a go. Winter asks Ironwood, what are you going to do? And all he says is, I'm going to do what's right for Atlas, no matter the cost. As he walks out of the room, grabs one of his pistols, aims it at Sleet's head. Well, not at his head, just aims it at Sleet, shoots it, and just shoots Sleet dead. And that, and then he just leaves the room as both, as both Winter and Harriet just look on and just watch. Uh, I would leave as they both sort of realize what the like the kind of man that that he has now turned into. And should I talk about the Salem part as well? That we was at the end. The Salem part in this one as well, but I will add a correction in for okay. what you said about Winter. If her arm was robotic, then she wouldn't have a human hand. From the look of how Winter's got all the stuff on her left arm, it looks to be like a military style support brains to basically deal with whatever damage was done so she can still so she can still fight and operate so to speak i'm looking at the video i'm looking at it it's a human hand still okay no that's fine that's fine i that's why i was putting out the speculation you could have talked about that when we came to you but uh at the end beef uh (laughs) at the very very end we then see back in the trailer the opening of something being born or the eyes of of a grim looking at looking at salem as salem has the relic saying that she has questions and that 
Uh, she's letting this new grin, which we've kind of uh, said is a bloodhound. I think a lot of the fandom has said it's a bloodhound. Um, as we actually see the ears from behind, uh, from behind it, as she tells it, as she tells this grim to find him and to to bring him to her, which could be meaning Oscar slash Ospin. Fate for this very last scene before we got the intro, which we're talking about in another uh, in another video. What did you think of this ending? With this. I had a lot of mixed feelings about it. Um, I did like, in, at the very beginning, when we see the Aesops looking at Clover, you see, specifically, Marrow and Harriet are the ones who actually are showing real emotion. Elm looks just frustrated, and Vine just looks apathetic like he always does. Which is very, very weird, since it's like, Vine, if you're apathetic to seeing the dead body of your leader, either something is wrong with your cranial region, or you seriously couldn't care less. Um, but I do feel bad for Marrow and Harriet, since they're the ones who actually show concern through this whole thing, and I really hope that we see their actual thoughts instead of just what they were... Like we, I hope we actually get to see what they're thinking in Volume 8 and actually see what they're hoping to do instead of just do what Ironwood says. Um, then, then when it comes to Ironwood, I really like the look of his prosthetic. And when it comes to it, it actually reminds me a lot of... Um, a lot like actually Yang's, but in Volume 4 specifically, like, before she painted it. Because when you look at it, you can tell he's not used to using it specifically on that part of his body, most likely. Um, but, it definitely, but it definitely looks new, as it, it definitely looks shiny. There's, like, no smudges, but then again, that could just be a design choice. Um, but you also see him just, like, crunch with it with nothing in the hand. So it sounds like he just got it because he hadn't used it at that point yet. Um, then you also hear an undertone in his voice talking to Winter. And there's something noticeable about it. He, he doesn't sound devoid of emotion like Vine usually does. He sounds like not even concerned. He just sounds like I don't even know how to say it. It's like the sound of someone who's lost hope. Tired. N like, not even tired. Like, I say specifically, like, like crestfallen, devoid of hope. Because he's like, I only have, like, we know with Ironwood, he's like, I only have one thing that I can do, and I'm going to do it. But he doesn't really seem to have hope for anything else, because he's just, like, acting, he's just acting depressed, kind of. Where it's like, he knows he's going to do something, he doesn't care what it takes, but... He's, if anything, it's definitely stress. I can definitely tell that if you look at specific shots. Um, and then with Winter, it almost seems like she doesn't really know what's going on. Like, when you're looking at her through a majority of this, when she's talking with Ironwood, she seems very concerned or worried about him. Um, so she possibly sees that there's something different about him, since we know that... 
well, she hadn't really heard from Ironwood since, like, in person at least, that we've seen since episode 11, when she had to, uh, when she when she had to go and uh, see if she could go with Penny to get the Winter Maiden powers, because the only other thing she did was text Ironwood at the end of Volume Seven saying the Winter Maiden powers are gone. Um. And something that um, that wasn't mentioned that I really like is the when Crow and Robin are mentioned to have been brought to the prison compound. I like how specifically the um, the soldier that Neo cosplayed as in Volume Seven was the one who delivered that information, and I really like that part. Um, but then you just see iron when ironwood walks out and uh and shoots sleet the thing that you you can notice as well is besides Camilla being horrified the thing that is pretty easy to see is that marrow's the only one who really has a reaction when he's looking at ironwood like hey what the like what the hell man like why did you just do that um and vine and elm are just looking at him like like they don't really seem to have an emotion there. They're just like, okay, well, if that's what you want to do, go right, right. ahead and do I'm, it. I'm really only re I'm only really reacted to the gunshot. Yeah, and Vine did. Um, Vine did have a yeah. split second jump at the gunshot. Like he thought he was possibly going to intimidate them, not actually yeah. pull the trigger. I could definitely see that. Um, since that is mm. a very big, um, <laughs> literally jumping the gun on that fact. Um, but there is something else I want to mention. Ironwood used his right hand to shoot here. The reason why I want to point that out is because he seems to be hiding his prosthetic behind his back when he's looking and when he fires at sleep. So it's almost like he doesn't want them to see that he has a robotic hand. Um, and then when you see Winter and Harriet, like, it's almost like they both have a similar thought because they're not like they have the same look of confusion, but not one that's like not one as obvious as like when Penny's confused or something. It looks more like worry or concern. Um, oh, um, this is also the part where we talk about like the final scene of Salem, right? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, we actually see the entirety of this scene in the trailer, um, but Not there's one particular thing that I really like about this part, which is when, when we see, like, I mentioned this before off of, uh, like, I think I mentioned it off of podcast, but she's almost holding the lamp protectively. Like, we see that she's holding it with, like, like she's curled her hand around the handle like, she's afraid to let it go out of her sight. I don't blame her. She's been after this thing for centuries. But, um... But it's still really interesting that she, like, doesn't even want to let it go. And she holds it up to the Grim. Then she immediately, basically, takes it back. Um... And I wonder what that sort of dichotomy is going to be with the character. And why she is so protective of the lamp because we don't even know if she knows what they do we know she doesn't know how to summon Jin, but what does she think that the relics can do like well actually 
she knows that the lamp answers questions. We hear her mention that. But I'm not certain if she even knows how that works. She just knows the general um, way that that happens. Um, but it would, it'll be really interesting if she ever does find out Jin's name. And since she doesn't know the whole... Um, the entire thing with Jin, like her parameters, like possibly, like she can't tell you the future. Um, she only has three questions every hundred years, and two of them are already gone, so she only has one possibility, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I actually really like that Salem part. Pink, what do you think? Oh boy. So this was a lot to take in. Especially after the Team Ruby Juniper part. Because obviously it means with the going season that this season's going to be split into three separate stories. Where you've got the Salem story, you're going to have the Ironwood story, and then you've got the Team Ruby Juniper story. With this one in particular, um, when we saw, when it was confirmed that, you know, seeing the paleness now of Clover, it, it still hurts to see Clover dead, like dead because... He was such a fun character, and I really wanted to see more of him. He he easily became like my favorite Aesop when he was introduced, but then when he died, it was, it, it was a big hard hit. And just seeing him just laying there motionless with the rest of the Aesops just watching, it just like it's like you're with the Aesops there. Like they're showing the different emotions. Like people are angry that he's dead. People are sad that he's dead. Like it's all showing through the fans like through uh like with the fans through the aesops of how we're all feeling about the death of clover like morrow especially because morrow is the youngest of the aesops so he is going to feel more emotion like he's he's shown to be a very emotional person and with harriet being angry you know she is definitely going to be gunning for a certain bird boy uh for since obviously crow was framed but obviously they don't know that um then seeing the just the face just the absolute coldness of ironwood like just seeing like after the cold reception he gave penny just like that sort of that very monotone um voice that he just had like we need you you need you to save atlas and then he got angry when um ruby mentioned mantle when when winter just asks him what you're going to do he just says with a straight face no remorse just he's going to do whatever he takes to protect atlas and when he just goes out there and shoots sleep like just not even thinking about it not even hesitant he just went bang that made my jaw drop because i was just like oh like you can tell like it could be his semblance, it might not be. You know, driving him, obviously he make he still makes his own choices. It's like it's like how Vel what Velvet said uh in many videos in outside of his um in outside of podcast, like everything about Ruby has always been about choice. Everybody like everybody has always been given the choice of something and then that choice leads to whatever the consequences may be. And whereas this case with Ironwood, he's just killed someone in cold murder like he's murdered someone in cold blood uh seeing winter in that hospital bed uh just seeing her now like sort of basically being the opposite of penny how back in volume seven we saw penny was becoming was doing more human things like feeling more emotions and stuff like that whereas winter was being this sort of coat this cold 
stone person just not caring about personal feelings and only wanted to get the job done sounding more robotic like just saying things that you've been fed to say whereas with penny she was saying more human things like saying her feelings ignoring what someone wants her to do it's just showing the opposite of each other now we're seeing you know the metal coating like this sort of metal armor that's going on to winter showing that her arms may not be super strong but ironwood's given her the sort these sort of upgrades you could say to make her stronger and so that she and like she's more than likely going to be pulled into the fight straight away even though she shouldn't be because she's you know badly badly injured and just show it and then when after the shooting we see both harry and um and winters both like both of their emotions like just through their face where harriet sort of looks down thinking do you know what this is what we've got to do kind of thing but winter sort of having that moment in her head like oh god what am i doing or like oh god what the hell like she's definitely she's definitely now thinking if ironwood can't be trusted you know uh did every like did everything i've been working towards to was a lie like what what am i gonna do like do i need to get out of here do i stay with him like she's gonna have all these conflicted feelings which winter needed because she didn't have much of a character to me back in the early seasons when we saw her but now she's finally gonna have that conflict which i think we've been wanting for so so long um Velvet, you okay? I'm getting a lot of feedback. I'm not getting any feedback on my end. Okay. Um, but I think then to top it off with the whole Salem bit, it is obviously a lot from the trailer with a little bit extra. But who, boy, seeing a bit more of the Bloodhound, like seeing the ears is definitely dog-like. And then when she specifically says, it, it, it's definitely like chill down your spine kind of thing when she explicitly says find him for me or bring him to me oh i was scared because i'm just like oh god it's oscar it's definitely oscar oscar's gonna die oscar's gonna be kidnapped like i was just like oh oscar has been through enough leave him alone (laughs) but overall uh this ending really really well done by the writers just showing like you know the like salem wanting to get answers like knowing that she like she doesn't know how the relics work she's only been told about what the relics are by ozma back when ozma was first reincarnated uh back in volume which we were shown back in volume six but she she still doesn't know the ins and outs but she knows there's only one man to her who knows what the relic does which is ozma aka ospin aka oscar because i don't think she knows that ruby like team ruby know but that's my piece. Ironwood is an absolute dickhead. Uh, I I called it from the beginning. Fuck Ironwood. Um, yep. Fuck him. Um. Uh. But yeah, I'll, I'll I will just say quickly. On. Pink Salem would know that Team Ruby would know how to activate the lamp because Ruby did tell Salem that the lamp showed them her backstory in Volume Seven. Yeah, but the thing is, they didn't explicitly tell them that she was the one who activated it. Uh, they might have just heard they. They could have just heard it and seen it. But you never know. It's Salem. Say Salem knows everything. 
That's a true Except, fact, to be honest. Well, well, she knows everything apart Neapol- apart from Neapolitan, apparently. No one knows it. It's a it's ne- the Neil Inquisition. Nobody expects it. <laughs> <laughs> I love the I love that meme. I'm sorry, it's my obsession. Okay, it's beginning my thing. Um, seeing the Aesop's uh, reactions as always. Vine has no reaction because Vine has no character. Uh, I have nothing else to say. Elm also really has no reaction. Meryl is sad. I am also sad because I like Meryl a lot. And Harriet is about to kill someone. It's like obvious. She's going to kill the bird. And <laughs> that's not happening. Particularly her killing the bird. That's not going to happen. Not much besides that. Conf- fully confirming Clover's death was a good thing. Because goddamn the fandom wouldn't be quiet about it. And still won't be quiet about it. It's not fun. But getting to the uh, the crux of this, Iron Wood himself, uh, just want to say quickly, uh, you can see that he got his black gun back, if you look closely. He has both of his guns back. My, no, just saying that. And, uh, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a him, lot of squeaking so, yeah. coming from your own bionic. Him... <laughs> That's my chair. I have the, my square, my chair is squeaky, apologies. But, um, but Iron Wood's line to Winter saying, I couldn't have done without you. That's a bit worrying because it it's clear it seems to me that Winter will not stay on his side for this full volume at particularly if you look at I know we're sort of talk about the opening, but her scene in the opening does not look like she's very pleased about doing any of this. So I don't know if she's gonna really stay and that also may hurt Ironwood's mental state more than it's already hurting. And yeah, him shooting sleet. Unexpected. Was not expecting the first, like a death this quickly. I still I still laughed at it because I'm a terrible person. <laughs> oh god, why am I so shit? But I got really nothing to say. This scene is very small and just was just particularly to show what's going on with the Ironwood side. I'm just gonna move on to the Salem party because I care more about that and there's not much I like the I like the new Grimm's small bit of design we've seen him. Fully, maybe fully known that the blunt hound is pretty cool, and that ominous find uh, go find him is. Just, I'm scared for my boy Oscar. I'm scared, but I really have nothing to say. This is like the least I have to say because everyone's already went over most of it. So, the scene is um good character growth. Velvet finishes off. So the seeds of doubt. I was not. Ooh, who moved into mic? Right. But... That was my cat. Sorry. Your cat. <laughs> the he's, not leaving, he's not leaving me alone. It's four o'clock. He wants food, and I can't mute. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so if you sow the seeds of doubt, I'm not expecting them to start showing Harriet was going to be the one to doubt. There is a small bit of emotion from Vine through the majority of this, and Elm just looks like she is contemplating. I think that the scene in the trailer where we had the Team Hayes, aka the Aesops, in that sort of training room could be an ideal location for them to maybe start talking about Clover's death and potentially Ironwood's decision and how far is he willing to go. Because if he shot Sleet, there's the potential that he could shoot one of them even if they questioned one of his orders will question one of his actions going forward 
And I do like the fact that they're showing with Winter that Ironwood is definitely going to be hard-pressed to throw in all his special operatives into the defense of Atlas, finding Penny and dealing with his plan overall. And it kind of feels like Winter going in this state that she is in, she could be more of a liability than um than an operative, so to speak, because she's injured. Her aura is going to need time to recharge and to help heal her body up. Meaning if she was to face someone, say for example, Crow again, Crow could easily make a win out of Winter's injuries if he's trying to break out of the prison. But I do think they are setting Winter up to maybe defect fully against Ironwood and help bring Ironwood down to reality. Maybe that comes full circle with Winter defecting during the Battle of Ashnee Manor with Weiss and Willow and Whitley. Maybe that's the sort of push she needs. Because essentially, from my point of view, Winter's traded one tyrant father for another, so to speak. And... All in all, Camilla's going to jail. Like, she is 100% going to jail. Ironwood is going to pin something on her. Don't know what, but he's clearly going to throw her inside and deal with her later. And the fact that he just straight up shot Sleet kind of gives red flags for what's, what is he going to do with Watts and Jock, and potentially even Robin and Crow. Because we see in the trailer how far he's willing to go with Watts by beating well, ordering the soldiers to beat the information out of Watts. So, how far is he willing to go to achieve the victory? And in a sense, like, he's gonna definitely be struggling. Because in, like, I am gonna reference it here. The intro does show that Ironwood's pieces are all falling apart. So essentially, it's going to be him against Salem while everyone else is against him. He's pushing people away further and further until he's the last one standing in the name of Atlas instead of the name of Remnant. Which is what I think we could see with like the Aesops. The Aesops could be pushed onto a divided front of maybe Harriet and Marrow working with Team Ruby down the line while, while Elm and Vine stick with Ironwood. I swear, that beat comes up one more time. I'm going to try and swear in unison with it. I have no clue who that is. My yeah, no, that's coming from Fate's end. But I do kind of think that maybe we are definitely going to get Marrow defecting and becoming a happy huntsman on Robin's side at some point. Harriet, I could feel that she could slowly start working against Ironwood, but not fully. But definitely, Kruby need to have the Aesops talking over what had happened with Clover, potentially talking about Ironwood's decisions and actions. I am going to put it out there here now. I kind of feel that maybe Harriet is going to go into the prison cell or burst into the prison cell when Ironwood's interrogating Crow and Robin, and Harriet is just going to straight up bitch slap or punch Crow, blaming him for the death and not really listening to the reason that it was Tyrion. I think the same's going to happen with Iron with it. Like, he's not going to believe that it's Tyrion that done this. He's going to be tunnel vision. This was on you, but now I've got you here. Now I can draw Ruby in and bring Penny in and get the plan done. He could use Crow's bait, I think. 
whether or not Ruby would fall for it, though. Mm. But there is one little subtle detail in this scene that I realised none of you did bring up, even though I brought it up to you when we actually did uh, talk about the episode yesterday, is that the security camera that is in this specific ward before Sleek comes in with Camilla is actually deactivated. And that could further the theory that he is definitely trying to cover up some of his actions. Like, uh, I think it was Pink that said about him hiding his robotic hand could be a subtle reference to him covering up his um his actions from the public so to not turn the people of atlas against him because if a revolution starts against him then all hope in his mind is lost and there could be a potential that maybe him could fuel that revolution but all in all i will say with the bloodhound as well I definitely want to pet those ears. Those ears look so pettable. Like, I got... You'll lose that hand. You'll lose I that just, hand, though. You're I just had images hand. of, like, when same saying, like, I need the one who can show me how, bring him to me. I just kept having visions of this blood sniffing the relic and then going up and wagging its tail at Tyrion. Like, it only locks onto Tyrion. And it just doesn't want to do its job. So Salem has to kill it, rebirth a new one, and tries again. <laughs> But Tyrion, that is the dumbest. That Tyrion is, the dumbest is a bloodhound magnet. Tyrion has a lot of blood on his hands. The bloodhound will go to the blood. That is the dumbest <laughs> joke I think I've had for a while, dude. Just finish what you just stop. I am finished. We're going to wrap up anyway. We are going to wrap up the podcast because we have actually reached the end of chapter one. <laughs> and as Pink has said, we will be covering the intro in another video we will be covering it when the whole episode goes public because that intro definitely does deserve its own video in its own right because there is a lot of darkness a lot of subtle foreshadowing in that intro in my opinion all in all my opinion on the chapter a damn good way to kick off a volume and definitely a way to top all the previous intros to the new volume that we have had so far Bionic, your final thoughts? Less Cinder, more Tyrion. I have nothing else to say. Pink, your final thoughts, my boy? Um, great opening, really sets up what each group is doing, um, where we're going to be seeing, obviously, Yang's group, Ruby's group, Salem's group, and Ironwood probably by himself with his group as well. So it's going to be nice to see all these different dynamics, all these different interactions and just see, just seeing, especially since this is going to be the longest volume, how these two days in the Ruby universe are going to play out. And I seriously cannot wait. I'm super, super hyped for the rest of the se- for the rest of the and volume. And finally, Fates. Or is your cat going to speak? No, no, no. My cat is basically just curled up around my legs just every now and then going meow please feed me um (laughs) i'll I'll feed him after i'm done talking um but my final thoughts is in my opinion this is a this is a much better premiere volume overall with showing what's actually happening than the volume 7 one was because that one was more so setting up mantle but that didn't really do very much for people because we didn't really even explore Mantle until way after the premiere episode. 
So this one is a lot better, especially since they had a lot of um, that a lot of Chekhov's guns, and they fired them at volume eight, and now some of them have finally landed, and it's done pretty good. Um, I do have one particular hope, very similar to um, to Bionic, except it's definitely different. Please directly show us Cinder backstory instead of imply it, and please more Neo. Because everyone's worried that she's going to die, and it's like, I'm pretty sure that Neo and Emerald would actually be a very fun team to see on screen. Indeed. Whoop. We are effectively at the end of the first chapter, and we have effectively kicked off our volume one. Uh, I didn't say volume one then, volume eight chapter one. Well, our official volume eight podcast run, which is... A new way for us, because we've never gone chapter by chapter, week by week, so hopefully this all plays out in the long run, and if it works out for this volume, we'll do it for every other volume going forwards rather than backwards, but we do have our Volume 4 podcast next year as well, so that is something to look forward to, because of certain things, certain last that will happen along that way. It's a shame that time wasn't here as well, because I just want to add a little note in here. The animation and the cinematography has been on point again with this chapter. We had it in Volume 7 and they brought it back and they've even included seamless transitions as well. So let's hope we see more of that. We must thank the two writers. This was this was Kerry and Cersei writing the first episode. I got to thank them. I'm bad with her name, I apologize. But yeah, thank Kerry and Cersei. Cersei, thank you for those. Thank you, them two, for writing a very Indeed. good start in episode. On that note, we are going to say farewell. So it is going to be farewell from fate. See you, See you it's next going time. It's going to be farewell from Pinkie Pie. Please let Nora live. And it's going to be farewell <laughs> from the Irishman. Tyrion better kill And it somebody. is going to be a goodbye from me as well, guys. Until the next video, have a great day and stay safe in the world.